good morning, Northland. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you this morning to talk about uh, what we actually have been working on the last couple months. As you know, we're in this series called Calibrate, and uh, we're talking about some of the ways that God continues to orient us back into the things uh, that are the, the values of God, the principles of God, that which is noble and true and good. And how do we get our hearts recentered into that space when so often we drift? And so we're about two months into this. As I've been thinking about this series a lot um, in, in preparing for this weekend, I was actually thinking back to a story uh, that happened with my son. I've told some of you stories about my son, Wyatt. He's in fourth grade now. Last year, he was in third grade. You can do the math. And, uh, and we, were, we were out running errands. And, uh, and I just I started thinking about how, you know, calibrating, it doesn't matter how old you are. It's, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of internal stuff going on. There's a lot of external dynamics taking place, a lot of factors. He and I were out running errands and, uh, and we're kind of doing the things that, that his mom, my wife, told us we had to go do. We're getting it done and my phone rings and uh, it's Addie and, and she says, hey, I just got off the phone with a mom of one of Wyatt's best friends from school. And um, apparently something happened at recess that she wanted to let us know about. So I'm talking, you've probably been in one of these situations where um, you're with somebody, you know they're talking about you, but you can't hear what's going on on the other line. So you're just super curious about what's going on. And that was Wyatt. He's like, he knows something is up, even though I never said his name, I never like mentioned anything. Um, so she goes on to tell me that apparently at recess that day, uh, Wyatt was out with his buddies playing and uh, he used a very, very bad curse word. Um, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure like most families growing up or in whatever situation you're in right now, there's different levels of cursing, right? There's sort of your level one that, you know, nobody's allowed to use, but mom and dad can use sometimes, right? Um, and they have to apologize later and try to make up some excuse why it was okay in that moment. And it just, it never really goes off real well, but there's sort of level one. There's level two where things get a little more interesting. In my case, it often meant like some soap was involved as if we were going to wash the the words off my teeth. I never could understand it. It was disgusting. Then there's like the DEFCON 3 level, right? Um, under no circumstances, in any situation, are you to ever use those words. There's not many of them, but there's a list. And uh, apparently, Wyatt had ventured into DEFCON 5. Um, and this mom, like all good moms do, right? There's no like, there's no um, tattletailing among moms. It's a network where they're just making sure other moms know what's up so that, you know, everybody can keep a tabs on each other. So I get off the phone and Wyatt's just looking at me like, what's going on? And uh, I said, hey buddy, um, mom just got a phone call. Apparently, we just found out you used a really bad word at recess today. And I, we, we've paused, like, you know, we're at Target and I'm like, I'm, I just, I want to see his face while we're having this discussion because I, I don't want to just hear the words he's going to say. I need to read his body language about, you know, what's going on here. So I'm looking at him and, uh, and I said, yeah, it, it was a really, really bad word. And, uh, and he said, well, what did it start with? Um, 
And so I gave the letter. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even give you guys any hints, by the way, so don't even think of it. But I, give, I, I sort of throw the letter out there, and he's looking down, and he's thinking as hard as he can. Um, and he's like, Dad, I only know three words. And he listed them off. I'm like, I don't, don't, I don't want to hear the words. I didn't know you only knew three. That's, a, that's good, I guess. But um, it wasn't any of those. And he's like, well, what was it? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, here we are, I'm looking around, you know, kind of take him over to the side. And I, I should have done better. I mean, I should have like told him, we'll talk about this later. I need to form a plan. But I dove right into this thing and now I'm too deep. So I said, well, the word was, and I say it. And he closes his eyes and I can tell he is searching the recesses of his brain cells, just trying to figure out that word. And finally, after a couple seconds, I'm, I'm trying to see, like, is he conning me here? And am I being manipulated? What's going on? He finally looks at me and he says, what's the word again? And I'm like, no, we're, I'm not repeating that word. Just don't use these words ever anywhere. And we kind of have this moment and we start talking through um, sort of what's, what's the meaning of bad words. It's a very challenging topic. I don't know if you've ever gone down that road with a kid. So we kind of unpack it as best we can and, uh, and sort of work through it. And I'm reminded that day how hard calibrating, orienting ourselves around what is right, how difficult that work is. Well, the next day, Addie calls again. And uh, she says, hey, I just got a, another phone call from the mom. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. Wyatt's in the principal's office. Who knows what's happened now? And she says, apparently, last night, Wyatt's best buddy, he, his conscience was so heavy and so guilt-ridden that the rest of the story came out. And apparently, while he was kind of being tucked into bed, he confessed that it wasn't actually Wyatt that said the word. It was actually somebody else, but in a moment of panic, he just kind of, you know, grabbed the first name that came to mind and just said it was Wyatt. And she felt terrible, you know, and we didn't know these friends. We were just kind of getting to know them. And Addie's on the other line just laughing hysterically. And it was one of those great bonding moments. And we've gotten to know this family so much, we were just laughing in between services. That's the stuff of recalibrating. It doesn't matter whether you're age 9 or 90. It's a lot of work, isn't it? And it takes a lot of effort. There's a lot going on between the ears, going on in the heart. And thanks be to God, he's put us together as a community of faith where we're not meant, we're not designed to find our way in faith on our own. We're designed to be in community and relationship and to help each other with that. We've been going through some different topics. Let me just review them real quick. Uh, some of the things that we've been looking at. Uh-oh, I just lost something here. Um, we'll see if this comes back up. Oh, here we go. Stillness, submission, stewardship. Some of these big words, difficult words. As you remember, most of these Pastor Matt has preached on, these are not easy. It takes a lot of work. Stillness. Have you ever tried to make a kid sit still? Have you ever tried as an adult to be still? It takes a lot of work to stop and to put away the distractions and the busyness and the things that attempt to preoccupy us and distract us 
from what's so meaningful. Submission, how the Holy Spirit is working in each of our lives to draw us to himself in a way that we come and let go of things that we are so desperately trying to fill in our lives when God is reminding us of of the joy, the impact, the work that he's inviting us to that's so much greater. Stewardship, our finances, our resources, our time, our, our treasure, talent, silence, what it means to pause and put away the technology and listen to what the creator is saying, the place of scripture as an orientation to center us on what God is trying to communicate to us, sacrificial choices, giving up sometimes what is distracting us uh, in the moment, in the temporary, to focus on the everlasting and the eternal and the single-mindedness. Pastor Matt preached on this last week and we're continuing some of that same theme today on what it means to be sent. What does God call us to do? Why are we being calibrated? What are we being calibrated for? In fact, this is kind of the big gist of what we're hitting this morning. Faith calibration, all that work, all those spiritual disciplines ultimately are designed to center us in Christ for a mission. All of those wonderful words, as challenging and difficult as they are, and as much as they bring uh, needed transformation into our lives, they're not meant to be done in silo, they're not meant to be done in a monastery, they are meant to be done in a way that not only transforms us, but as a part of a community of faith that's ultimately transforming the world. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this question, why does God send us? What is the purpose of us going? What's this mission that he's called us to? We're going to take a look from, we're going to start with Jesus, good place to start, and we're going to jump all the way back to Genesis, take a look at a couple scriptures there, tell a few stories about the way this congregation continues to be sent locally, globally around the world. What does that look like? And then we're going to circle back and come to Jesus as our landing place. And so we're gonna be looking in those areas. If you have your scriptures, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Um, If you wanna look in your worship guide, the scripture is in there. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. If you uh, would like to own one, go to the bookstore. And somebody was texting me earlier this week asking like, what kind of Bible apps do I, I use? Bible Gateway, if you've never checked that out, it's my favorite, I use it almost every day. But here we are, Matthew 28. This is the last paragraph in this gospel. And so here in these verses, this is post-resurrection, Jesus has just uh, defeated death, and these are the words that that draw us back to uh, the instruction that he's giving God's people then, and ultimately his instruction for the church today. It says this, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So here's the scene Um, from from a chapter just before, you can look this up later, there was actually more than 11. Matthew just highlights um, specifically that the 11 were there, but there was probably a a bigger group of people that had been gathered. Apparently, um, Jesus had set instructions on where they were going to rendezvous at this place um, by the mountain in Galilee, and the group is collected there, and they're all wondering what's next. And I love what God inspired, the Holy Spirit inspired this gospel writer to include 
in this text. Think about it for a second. If you're a writer and you're trying to tell the story of something that you don't want to have any shadow of negativity or, or doubt, um, if, you, if you want to remove all those kinds of words, you would not include the word doubt in the text. And I'm fascinated that God would put in the scriptures and allow these two words, some doubted, to exist. I believe, church, that those words are there because we need to hear them. There's some people that I'm sure are in this room right now who even on your drive over, maybe parking and walking in, maybe joining online, you know that you have come into this space and you're a little nervous. Like, am I the only one that's struggling in my faith? I'm sure I must have a tractor beam. I mean, I'm sure I must just look like the only person that doesn't have it all together. And I love that Matthew would include this to say this mission, this sending that God is giving us, that Jesus is about to proclaim over his followers It's not just for those that have all their spiritual ducks in a row. It's not for just those that have everything calibrated. It's for all of us. In fact, in the next uh, passage, we get this incredible picture of of what Jesus did, who he was communicating to. I don't know what's going on with my my thing here, but we'll just keep going. If you can go to the next slide, there we go. Uh, It says, then Jesus came to them, and he didn't separate the doubters, from those that were strong in the faith. He was speaking to all of them. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This incredible picture of Jesus, first of all, speaking with all authority. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who holds the whole of the cosmos together, the one who reigns, his very essence, his very being. He is saying, I am the one with this authority who is empowering you. You are not going on your own and you're not going in your own power. I'm releasing you to go and do what you've seen and watched me do. And Jesus then releases them to go and to live out this mission. In fact, what does this word go mean? In the, in the Greek, it, it, the way it could translate, if, if you were to, you could write it a little bit differently or it could be translated a little bit differently in, in your Bible, it's, it's in along the way. What Jesus is saying here is there's, there's a way in which going isn't just for the nations, we'll talk about that in a second, but it's actually for those that are in the closest proximity to us, those uh, who we interact with in the routes that we travel most frequently every day, the people that we sit with in class, our coworkers, our neighbors, this going is for the people that are right around our own geography. Maybe you're struggling to figure out how to reach those people, how, how to even engage them. Invite them. 
Invite them to church. Invite them to participate in something like Serve Day, which is coming up this month. Even non-Christians love to participate in something where they can feel like they are giving and contributing and make a difference. Invite them to trunk or treat. Find a way to get them around some other folks where they can begin to get a taste of what it looks like to be around others that are asking hard questions and on this faith journey together. And so this going is not just for out there, it's for here. But it's also, as the scripture indicates, as Jesus teaches, it's a global enterprise. We are not just a family, we are a family of families. In this room, those connected here online and with our partners and organizations, uh, parachurches, uh, relationships that God has given us all around the world God has called us into this global enterprise that's making a difference not just here, but there as well. And it goes all the way back to Genesis. This going actually circles back to exactly what uh, Matthew is teaching here. What's incredible, what I love about um, when you can really take the time to unpack what's happening in the scriptures there. This is the last paragraph that Jesus is communicating in the Gospel of Matthew, but It's a reconnect back to the very first words in Matthew. In fact, in Matthew 1.1, the very first verse that he writes is, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Heavy words that without knowing sort of what the Old Testament means by that, it, it sometimes can raise more questions than answers. What Matthew is really saying here is this command, this commissioning to be sent that Jesus is stating to the church there. It's not just uh, a new command. It, com- it actually connects back to what God has been doing since the very beginning. And he's doing that for the relationships that we have everywhere. In fact, I was talking to a, a mom last night after the service And she said, I don't even know if this counts as going, but let me tell you about something that happened to me this week. And, uh, and she said, I was, I was with my daughter and we're out getting donuts and, uh, and we're going through the drive-thru. And as we go around and I'm about to give my order, um, I just, I, I wasn't ready. And, and the guy um, asking for the order just said, hey, can I, can I help you? Can I take your order? And I don't know why I said it, but it just came out. And I just said, how's your day? Um, and it was silent on the other end, and this guy responded, not that great, actually. And she thought, oh, wow, um, I'm just still trying to sort out, do I want the cream filled or the plain? And, uh, and her daughter perks up next to her, and they realize, here's an interesting moment. And so she says, well, what's, what's going on? And, she, and, the, and this guy says, Things at home are not so good. And I don't even know why I'm working here at this donut shop. What's the point? And she says, well, can I have a dozen glazed donuts? And she says, are you going to be the one at the window when I drive around? And he said, yeah. So she drives around and she sees this guy. And she says to him, hey, I don't know what, what's going on in your life, but I'm a believer, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm sure that God is doing some stuff in your life that you can't even see right now. And I want to pray for you. And she's looking behind, there's cars stacking up behind her, and, uh, and she just says, when we pull out of here, 
my daughter and I are going to stop and we're going to pray for you. Moments that God puts in our lives, these intersections, where we have no idea why God has opened up those opportunities. But you know what? They're not only something that's happening in the here and now. They link us back thousands of years ago to this God who in his very nature, his very identity, is a God who is connecting people, a God who has linked us together in relationship for a mission, for a purpose. In fact, it goes all the way back to Genesis 12 where there's this this great piece of text that missiologists often uh, look to, to teach around what it means to be this, to worship this God of mission. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is telling Abraham, in fact, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, signifying this pivotal moment in his life. Abraham, I am sending you I've blessed you, you are going to bless others. That's the point of this mission. David Hesselgrave, one of my favorite writers on missions says this, the church, the church for all time was first established and organized with a worldwide mission for a worldwide work. It was a living organism composed of living souls deriving their life from Christ who was its head. What Jesus did in the New Testament is what Jesus has been doing for all time. He invites us as a family of families into this worldwide work. That means it's not only going to calibrate and be transformational for us, it's going to impact the world. And what's really fascinating as you look at the whole of Scripture is this, God's very identity, His very essence, who He is is rooted in life, in relationship, and in mission. And he's created us in his image. And so as image bearers of our creator, we are to do as he does. You might remember this statement that Pastor Joel uh, created some years back. I should have looked it up to reference, but it had to have been 15 years or so ago. If you were around during that time, you remember this quirky, grammatically complex, problematic you know, concoction of words, I am us for them there. Pastor Joel was basically doing one of those exercises and trying to to take as few words as possible and pack as much meaning into it and, and ultimately coming together with this phrase that helps us understand the very nature and identity of God, who he is, and then in turn, who we are as his people. Think about the word I am. You probably can remember from maybe some Sunday school experiences growing up, those words. Uh, I found out that they're actually doing this in kids' church today, this story where, Jesus, uh, where Moses is, is out uh, and he's with a flock of animals, his father-in-law's animals, and he's out with the herd tending to them. And as he is out there, he sees this burning bush And he goes over to check it out because it's not being consumed. There's flames coming out of it, but it's not just turning to ash. And he goes over there and God engages him in a conversation. And he begins to tell Moses, I'm going to send you uh, on this mission. You're going to go back 
to Pharaoh. You're going to go back to the Israelites, and you are going to be the one that brings my people out of the oppression and the tyranny and the persecution of what they're facing in Egypt. And of course, Moses starts going down the list of all the reasons why he's the wrong guy for the job, his, his insecurities, his fears, his anxieties. He's going list after list after list, just hoping God will understand and let him off the hook. And finally, he gets to the end he's, and Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What a powerful description. What an incredible choice of words that God uses to communicate his very essence and his very being. I am, period. You might think of other, word, other places in scripture where you've heard those words, I am. Jesus, seven times in the gospels, refers to himself as the I am, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the, the life, the way, the truth, and the life and the vine. This incredible picture of Jesus connecting himself to the Father, emphasizing to all of humanity, all, to, all of creation, I am the Messiah, I am God. And so we have this picture of who the I am is. And he exists as an us, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, in relationship, in community, the us, moves across the cosmos to where we are, for them there. It's a great snapshot in a very few amount of words as to why Jesus came, what he was about, and how he ultimately moved to where we are. It's actually a snapshot of what the church is to be about. We are here to focus on the I am. And the more we can focus on the, am, the, the I am, the more we can understand that we are made for relationship and it's only through relationship and community that God is sending us out there to draw the world to himself. That's why things like small groups and belong and grow and other things that we do to try to get us connected in community is such a big deal because we are not designed to do this on our own. In fact, God himself showed what it means to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and do this work. We're to follow in our Father's footsteps. So do we go to do evangelism? Well, let's just back up. Why does Northland go? Why do we go? If, if this going that, that God has, has unpacked for us in the Matthew text, if this going is for the local, it's for the close proximity, it's for the geography that we live in, the zip codes right around us, if it's also for the nations, it's also for this going as Pastor Gus prayed, why does Northland go? Why do we engage? We not only engage around the world, we engage right here locally. In fact, um, I got this awesome uh, stack of three by five cards that was sent in the mail from those that worship with us in the jail and prison. What an incredible testimony, story after story, highlighting the incredible calibration, the work, the reorienting of faith 
that is taking place. Some of you have gone, you volunteer, you serve in the jail and prison ministries. Some of you are there right now, part of our faith community where we're learning. We're not there just to pour into and serve. That's a community that's speaking back to and helping us understand who the church is, even locally. So why does Northland go? Whether it's the jail and prisons and locally, why do we go around the world? Do we go to do evangelism and outreach and special projects? Sometimes we do. Uh, Places like Swaziland, where many from this church uh, have gone over the years to be a part of rebuilding a school that originally started in a wooden shack uh, with, with... uh, rats and the rats underneath the, the, the wooden building brought mambas and poisonous snakes and just a bad combination for these kids and a few churches there invited us to come and be a part of this work and we helped build a school that's now ministering to over 500 kids. You were a part of that. We hosted a tournament there. One of the first trips that I ever did uh, to Swaziland, I was sitting around on a Monday afternoon talking to a few young guys and I said, what are some other ways that we can build relationship and just get to know some more people in the community? This whole us for them there, how do we, what does that look like here? They said, well, soccer's a big deal, let's host a tournament. And I thought, cool, well, next year when we come back, we'll, we'll, we'll host a tournament. And they're like, no, like this Friday, let's host a tournament. Um, and I, okay, well, how does that work? Well, we gotta, we gotta go and talk to the headmasters at all the different schools. There's about six or seven of them and get permission. Well, how do we do that? Well, let's go. We get up, we walk out and we're walking all these you know, dirt paths from school to school, just asking permission for the schools to be released on this Friday. What are the prizes that they get? It's, you know, you get some medals like you do in any tournament. My son's actually playing in one today. Um, but, but what else? And they said, well, sometimes they, they'll give a cow to the, to the winning team. You know, it's kind of a, it's a big prize. I thought, man, that's cool. Let's, let's do that. And they said, well, the only problem with that is usually the coach just gets it. And he kind of goes home and none of the players get anything. All right, well, what else? Chickens. Okay. So who do we call? So we have a truck show up with a bunch of chickens in the back. I mean, eat more chicken kind of took on a whole different meaning, right, Uh, in Swaziland. But I love the joy, the pride. These boys were bringing home the bacon, I mean, you know, um, the chicken. What an awesome opportunity to bring life and relationship and meet people and bring the gospel into spaces and amongst a group of people that would never otherwise normally um, get that. Manaus, we prayed for this team that's going. This church, um, over the years, you've helped with your tithes and offerings pay for these boats. These boats are not fancy, it's just sort of a floating motel. Um, You sleep in it at night and eat dinner there and it goes to the next village. Uh, In the daytime you get off and you do all this ministry uh, on, on these villages and the the children's ministry, the family ministry, the sports outreach, the dental clinic, so many things going on there. The next generation, we talked about how we are exploring and and looking at new ways to connect on universities uh, and high school campuses around the most difficult topics 
that we're facing as a nation right now? How do we engage that next generation to tackle those topics and to teach us uh, what we can do to problem solve some things that we cannot figure out as a society. The bottom right picture, that's uh, where Pastor Matt was teaching last year. He's in that same space this week, uh, teaching those university students there. Just what does it mean for us to raise up the next generation of creatives and artists and thought movers? Do we go sometimes to build houses and schools and churches? Sometimes the answer is yes. Places like the DR, where many people uh, in this room, uh, part of Northland, have gone and, and helped be a part of building over 17 chapels is what I heard. Uh, I know I see Lisa Shaw. She's been a part of uh, taking those teams. Uh, incredible work that's been taken place by so many young people in this church. Um, building these houses, these blue houses in Jamaica, people that uh, are otherwise literally living out of ca- cardboard uh, shacks in these shanties giving them space to live and thrive. In Uganda, this well that a few people here at Northland organized and helped produce this opportunity to dig deep and provide clean water to this school that we've been a a part of. So sometimes we do go and, and build schools. But what about the training of pastors and leaders? Frankly, we have one of the world's best at this. His name's Pastor Gus. This guy's amazing. Uh, whether, yeah, whether it's in places, uh, whether it's in places like Cuba or Ukraine, difficult parts of Eastern Europe where the church is facing so much persecution, or it's places like Sierra Leone, Guinea, um, Sudan. Ask us sometime. He will share stories of incredible things that are taking place in that part of the world. Not just the way we're going to teach, but the way we're going to learn and to understand more of who God is so that we are not limited by a Western American, Southeastern, Central Florida bubble of who we think God is. But how can we have the church, this family of families, speaking back to us so that our understanding of the I am is expanded way beyond just our limited ability? That's why God links us together in relationship. And so hopefully what we're constantly trying to work on in this us for them, their picture is this connection where Northland is interacting and engaged and serving in many opportunities right here in the space around us on schools and and in businesses and in neighborhoods, but also connected around the world learning from these incredible relationships because ultimately the reason that we are sent comes all the way back to a text like this where the prophet Habakkuk declares with this incredible vision what is to take place, the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is the ultimate why for the reason God gathers his people and sends them locally and around the world. And it's not an easy work, is it? Calibration, what God is doing in our faith, the transformation we're experiencing internally, how that then connects us into relationship with others. The enemy knows what's at stake. The enemy knows that when a church can be attacked, when an individual can be attacked, when a family can be attacked, there's diversion from the ultimate 
mission. And this is a time where the church cannot be complacent, cannot be stagnant, cannot be sidelined. This time in the 21st century needs each of us to engage in this mission, this worldwide work that Jesus is inviting us into. And it's not gonna be easy. I was thinking of a story, just to wrap up, a story of um, this uh, high school assembly. Maybe you remember going to some of these high school assemblies, high school students, maybe you still go to some of those where it was a Friday afternoon, it was um, the last part of the day, and everyone was invited into this gym to come in and, uh, and, and, and hear from uh, representatives from, from the various military branches. They were there to try to recruit and enlist students after they would graduate. And, uh, and so they had a certain allotted amount of time. Um, the, first, the first representative gets up and, and starts giving his spiel and, uh, and of course starts taking more time, right, than he, he was allotted. There was a little bit of time given for each person to make sure everybody had a fair chance. And, and this guy starts embellishing a little bit some things, right? And all of a sudden he's talking about the benefits of joining his branch and how great it's going to be and everything that you will receive by coming and being a part of his particular uh, military division. And the next guy gets up and he doesn't wanna be outdone. So he goes a little bit longer and he starts embellishing and explaining more and sort of trying to oversell all the great benefits that will be from coming and joining him. And the, the next one does it. And finally it comes to the last, the last person and it's a Marine. And he gets up, he looks at his watch and he realizes he has about a minute Everybody's taking all the time. The students are getting antsy and fidgety and shifty and they're ready to get home and start the weekend and he just sits there and for the first 30 seconds, he's just quiet. The students eventually get quiet and he says to them simply this, if you come and join me and be a Marine, it's gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done. You're gonna sleep less I'm gonna work you harder than you've ever worked. I'm gonna make you do things you never thought you could do. You're going to sacrifice everything and it's gonna be the hardest thing that you've ever done, but I promise you this, it'll be the most meaningful adventure you've ever been on and you're gonna come join me and we're gonna come change the world together. And then he went and sat down. And it's hard to imagine that in this day and age where the longest line would be, you might think it was with all the benefits, but the line was out the door. The students who wanted to be a part of something so meaningful, why? Because hardwired inside of us, innate, designed by God in us, is this want to be like our Creator, to go and do something so significant that's way beyond what we could dream or imagine, maybe even more than we even think our doubts and insecurities can overcome. But once in a while, God reminds us, I've put you on this planet for a bigger reason than donuts. I've put you on this planet for a bigger reason than the job you have, the circumstances you're in, the, the, the limitations that you feel like you have. I've put you here for a reason. And it's time to jump into this mission.
And so here's what we want to do in, in the time that we have left. We thought as a team, you know, we could, we could put some songs together that would motivate and just charge up our, this base of people to go and do some stuff and organize and start getting active. But we really wanted to come back to what we think is the biggest priority, the main focus. It's the I am. It's Jesus. When our focus shifts off him, that's when everything gets out of line. That's when the calibration falls by the wayside. And so what we want to do is enter now into a time where our focus isn't so much on what we can do. It's on who God is and what he has already done and what he wants to continue to do through his power, through his strength as the I am. And so I'm going to ask if you would stand And would you join me as I invite us into this time, not to look at ourselves or us as a church, not to look at the resources and the things that we think we can put together to do something for God. Let's look to the one who has already done so much for us. Let's pray. Father God, we are in awe that you reveal your very nature to us, that we understand more of who you are as our creator from your scripture, from creation, from the relationships you put around us. And God, that you would go to the extent that you did to invite us to be near you and to be on mission with what you are doing here and around the world. God, would you remind us even through the words, the poetry, the lyrics that we're going to be singing, this declaration back to you. Would you remind us of who you are as our creator, the great I am. God, would you remind us that whatever fears and anxieties and struggles we're going through, you don't expect us to have everything together. You want our hearts and you know exactly where we are and you're inviting into this mission that requires all of us. Would you speak to us? And may our eyes and our attention be directed to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.